And then when you have a day where things don't go so well, you know, it's not the end of the world because tomorrow's a new day. You know, you can think about how things didn't go the way you thought they were going to go and you can try it again. The whole thing is set up really to be forgiving, to be flexible and to show people the immediate benefit of these changes that they're making. Because a lot of the changes in behavior that we want to make for ourselves have very long-term payoffs. If we want to eat healthier, you know, we, maybe we have a, a short-term goal of losing weight, but, but it's really for this long-term benefit of being healthy and living longer. But I think advice like that, that focuses on the long-term benefit, is really hard to stick to day to day because we're not seeing any of the rewards of it. And so we wanted to create something that would would still have those long-term benefits, but would also really prime people to recognize the short-term benefits, the short-term gains. So for example, you know, something as simple as replacing a part of your commute with with walking instead of driving or riding or instead of you know having Amazon deliver something to your door actually making a trip out to the store to go get it things like that they have the immediate benefit of honestly just making you feel better you know you 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 go and stretch your legs you get a little walk and you feel more energized you actually right away you feel the benefit of of that change that's John Zaratsky and I'm Brian Falchuk the do a day podcast you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast. I have a pretty cool guest this week. He is a very successful author with a really cool backstory of business success in uh, in the tech space that taught him the basis for what he writes about. So, you know, so often the people that I have on have gone through some major struggle. And my guest this week, John Zaratsky, it's not that he went through some terrible turmoil or, you know, his life was in jeopardy or any of the other, you know, really gripping kinds of stories that I've gotten to share from the amazing guests I've had. But he's had a really... Um, Oh, just educational experience. He was at a tech startup called FeedBurner. Uh, I, I was a customer of theirs myself. I still am. And uh, they were acquired by Google. You know, it's like, you know, a, a tech employee's dream, right, to get bought out by Google, I guess. Um, and, you know, that happened. But he learned a lot in that process. And he learned a lot both in working at an early stage startup and helping to make that successful, and how much grinding you know you have to do and he was very productivity focused and he figured out a lot about productivity to basically just um i'm almost going to use it as a verb like productivity your way through that's totally not a verb but your way through like you know the, the greatest challenges that lie ahead of you the most work you have and it worked in the short run but what he learned in the long run is it's not sustainable and this doesn't boil down to, you know, not having your motivation or the kinds of things that I talk about when I talk about sustainable success or seizing opportunities. He hit on one of the other things I talk about a lot, which is burnout. And you can't just keep pushing yourself no matter how productive you are and expect to never have a problem. You can't always look to get 10% more out of yourself. At some point, you got to pay the piper. And John went through that process and learned tremendously 
And now he's working on his second book, or I, he's not working on it anymore. It's out. It's called Make Time. And it's not about getting more productive. It's about getting more purposeful with your time. You make time by reducing the things that steal time, that rob you from it. And he shares quite a bit of the knowledge from the book, some of the great insights. There's a ton more that you know we just can't get into in this, this interview. There's, I think, 87 individual tips that you know they're they're gems like you definitely want to check out the book and see them Um, but he goes over the biggest themes the ways that you structure your path forward and it's it's really valuable and the cool thing for me is it completely aligns with my message around do a day Um, it's all about making the right priorities being mindful in your choices and structuring your life in a way that aligns to what you're trying to achieve. So I love this. I mean, I, I took so much from it. Um, the book's incredible. I hadn't read it when I interviewed John, but I've read it since then. It's super useful. I just feel like such an enlightening way to think about how to structure your life. And he has lived it firsthand. This is a guy who went from you know grinding it out in the startup scene to uh, you know he and his wife have totally restructured their life. They spend part of the year in Wisconsin and part of the year on their boat which is docked in Panama in the sun. So, you know, think about how you can recast your life into one like that. He's done it and he's been able to sustain and succeed and thrive. And, you know, you can say, oh, he's special or he does that because he's an author. So his life is more flexible than mine. And you can come up with any other reason or set of reasons to excuse it away. But the reality is that's not how it started for him. So he made time himself and he teaches you how to do it in his book. So with that, let's jump right into the interview. John Zaraski, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. This is um, this is a slightly different kind of interview because there isn't this traumatic backstory of, of horribleness. Um, <laughs> right. But there, I mean, there is a backstory. Like you, you've lived through something, but when um, we, you know, shout out to Mark Metry for connecting us. But when I, I got into your content, and we, we had a call the other day. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to let the whole rules of the podcast slip a little bit because this is just so on point for what I talk about with Do A Day. And I think it's such a, a practical way to take people forward. Yeah. Um, so thank you for joining me. I'm, I'm psyched. Yeah, me too. Um, so we're, we're going to get into your book, which is the reason why we all got connected, um, Make Time. And uh, the the kind of ironic thing about it is I have not been able to make time since you sent it to me to uh, to read it before doing the interview. So we'll see how that plays out. But I promised you it will it will get read before the interview comes out. So I will be knowledgeable when people are hearing this. Well, and, and you know, if uh, if you you look at everything you've got going on and you decide it doesn't make the cut, then then maybe you didn't need the book. Maybe you're already, you're making good decisions about your time. You're being thoughtful. You're not just piling another thing on the to-do list. So I appreciate so. your niceness way, about it. Good. Yeah. I, I think it's probably, if I can't make time for a book called make time, that, that might be a little bit too meta, but like that, <laughs> that's saying a lot to me. All right. We can stop dancing around it. Tell, tell us a little bit like, you know, where did you come from? Why are you here? And, and what is this all about? So like, what, what's the backstory that positioned you for teaching people how to make time. Sure. The backstory for me, you know, in, in thinking about time, uh, really starts when I got out of college I and mean, I was, you know, I was 
got my first job. Um, I was at a tech startup, which which was very fortunate. It was a good place to be. This was in 2005. And um, just, just to back up a little bit from there, I, I grew up before the internet and before, you know, we didn't get a computer until I was in high school, I, I think. I grew up in, in rural Wisconsin. And I just remember this feeling of like being a kid, kind of like a nerdy kid, being in my room, doing some project or hobby, and having this feeling that there was nothing else in the world. That was, I was, was just, that a good feeling or a bad feeling? Like, did you feel empty about it or was it like, this is all that matters? When I was young, it was a good feeling because I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to sit here for three hours and build this model airplane gotcha. because it doesn't matter. I think as I got older, I became aware of um, just how just how few people were in the the town I lived in, in the school I went to, which meant that just like statistically, uh, there was going to be less representation of various, you know, interests or, right. or personality types or, or identities or whatever. Um, but, but earlier, like, and even, I think even once I became aware of, of the limitations of my environment, I still, I like, you know, I just, at the time, I don't think I was super aware of it, but now like thinking back, I'm like, yeah, I could just pour my energy into whatever it was I was trying to do because I wasn't thinking about the emails that were piling up. I wasn't thinking about whether there was something cool on Instagram or, or Facebook. Um, and so I've really been trying to get back to that feeling. Um, when I was working at the tech startup, it was called FeedBurner. Um, and we, we were eventually acquired by Google. So I, I worked at Google and we can, we can talk more about that if you'd like, but, um, but, you know, I wanted to make the most of this opportunity and I had been this, this nerdy kid who could really pour my energy into projects, but being in a work environment with meetings and emails and things, um, it was, it was a lot more challenging. It was a struggle to make time. And I don't mean to have like work-life balance because I wasn't thinking much about that as a 22 year old, yeah. but even to have time to do work at work, you know, to do yeah. like the the parts of my job that were most important. So I, I just, I decided that, um, productivity was the answer that I should, you know, really try to tweak and optimize and become as efficient as possible, pack as much into every minute, every hour, every day. And, and I burned out on that. I yeah. realized that maybe there had to be, um, a better approach that prioritized the things that were really important. Um, maybe at the expense of some of the things that, that weren't so important. That's a really tough trade-off to make, to say no to someone or something. Um, yeah, it to, is. Yeah, it, it, feel, well, it feels rude, and but it's it necessary. Does. It is, and I think that, so one of the things we talk about in this book, Make Time, is how so much of our time is spent by default. So it's, you know, we spend time looking at the apps on our phone, or going to websites or, you know, watching TV, even things that seem really responsible and good, like reading the news. Um, you know, we don't, we just kind of do it because that's the norm in our society. Um, and it's there and it's interesting and it feels important. Um, and, and the trick, if there is a trick to, uh, to making time is really to, to spend less time on those default behaviors mm -hmm. that are, not important to us to free up time for the things that really are. And so while saying no to people is certainly an important part of that, uh, it's kind of 
the low hanging fruit don't require you to say no to anybody. They just require you to kind of reconfigure and rearrange some of the default settings of your technology and, you know, maybe even your, your physical environment so that you're, you're, you're spending less time on the things that really deep down inside, you don't want to be spending time on anyway. You're just, you're making it more difficult to get distracted. Is this about like mindfulness? Like we're, we're doing these things, you say by default, is it kind of like we just do them mindlessly because they're there and they get done? Like there's, I think there's it, no purpose in it. I think that's right. I think it's about mindfulness. But at the same time, I don't believe that willpower or self-control or discipline are necessarily the right way to resist these things. So, so like just to follow the, the thread a little bit, if, if we waste time on Instagram because we're not being mindful about it, then that sort of implies that we need to become more mindful so that we can resist. You know, when we feel that urge to look at Instagram, we have the ability to say, no, I don't want to. And that works for some people. Um, but I don't think it's a great strategy for most people. I think that there's, there's been some really interesting research uh, lately about willpower and about self-control. And there's kind of this, this growing line of thought that maybe what we think of as willpower is really kind of a myth. Really, it's, it's a function of the environment that we're in and the habits that we have and the mindsets that we have. And so my, um, the way that I approach it is to, is to say, let me change the environment. So let me remove the most distracting apps from my phone. Let me log out of the, and change my password to the websites that I waste the most time on. And it's kind of the, the reverse of, of, you know, it's instead of becoming more mindful so that you can spend your time in an intentional way by making it more difficult to get distracted, you create space that allows you to be mindful and be intentional with that time. Wow. I like that. Um, part of me likes it because I, I've been not anti willpower, but kind of saying willpower doesn't I don't think willpower is good enough in the like the traditional definition of willpower. Right. I don't. And people, I don't think you just grit your way through stuff. Not yeah, long term. I, I totally agree. I think people are people are too hard on themselves. Honestly, you know there there's this um, there's this narrative that um, well you know it starts with kind of this this idea of self responsibility, which I think is is true and good. I think nobody cares more about you than you do. And so you're the person who needs to initiate that change. But, but then the, the next step in, in sort of the narrative of, of hard work and discipline is that you need to, you need to white knuckle it. You need to get stronger. You need to, um, develop this willpower. Um, and, and, and then when you fail at whatever change you're trying to grit your way through, then you feel like a failure because you, you think, if only I had been better, if only I had been stronger, I would have been able to make this change. But I think you're setting yourself up for, for disappointment in the first place. I think it's, it's the wrong place to focus. I, I, I really think, um, whether it's your time or your health, uh, or, or, or anything else, it's better to focus on kind of the, the structural environmental factors first that make the, really, they make the, 
the right decisions, the easy decisions. They make yeah. it e- the path of least resistance becomes what you want to be doing instead of what you think you should be doing. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. It's like not having the things that you're trying to avoid eating. Don't have them in the house. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because yeah, if you get. Yeah, go ahead. If you get really if you think of it like sort of an extreme example and you think of a, you know, a, uh, an alcoholic or or somebody who's a, um, a, a problem gambler, yeah. you know, like like the you know, if, you, if you're addicted to to slot machines, uh, you don't want to live next door to a casino. Right. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's like even though that even though the the casino might not be actively telling you that it's there, they might, you know, it's, it's, you know, akin to the smartphone notification, right? It's not, even if it's, even if you've turned that off and it's not actively grabbing your attention, you know, it's there yeah. and it's, it's always kind of, kind of speaking to you. Yeah. And then failure leads to self-judgment about weakness and incapability. And, you know, yes, it's a form of weakness, I suppose, but it's also like, why did, why were you even in that situation? You know, no, no mortal human would be able to survive that anyway. So why not put yourself in a situation where like you're saying the path of least resistance is the path to what you're actually trying to have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I think, you know, when I first tried to think about my time so that I could spend it in ways that made me feel good, you know, I, I think especially coming from the way that I grew up, um, you know, I, I just, I think that I was hard on myself because I, I assumed that I could, I could just get stronger. I could just get better. I could, I could do more. Um, and, and it, it didn't really work, you know, it worked to a point, but, yeah. but ultimately I sort of burned out. Um, the, the, you know, there's a, there's an experience that I wrote about in the book where I was living in Chicago and I was working at Google. This was after we had uh, been acquired by Google. It was 2008. And by all accounts, life was really good. You know, I had this really great job living with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. We had this, this really cool condo in Chicago, um, had friends who lived nearby, but I, I woke up in the middle of kind of a dark and dreary winter one year and had this feeling that time was just slipping away from me that I almost like I couldn't remember what had been happening. You know, I didn't really have anything to hold on to in that time. I didn't have memories and moments that were meaningful to me. And, and I realized that it was really a function of my, my preoccupation and obsession with productivity when, when everything just became, you know, a little slice on the calendar or a, a bo- you know, a checkbox on the to-do list. Um, it all just kind of blurred past the, the time just sort of flew by. And so I started to work on figuring out how to slow that down. Where, where does Sprint come in your first book? Is it, is it in the midst of this productivity push or is it in the wake of it? Like, where does that all fit together? It's in the wake of it. It came later and, um, it's something that I, uh, that I, I lucked into. Um, I was working at Google ventures. This was, this was later. This was in a, uh, starting in 2011 and my role, so Google Ventures is a is a venture capital firm that is funded by Google. So, you know, for for any of you, your anybody listening who's who's not familiar with kind of the the tech industry, um, uh, the way that that Google Ventures works is that Google basically makes 
more money than they can spend, um, yeah. essentially. And they reinvest some of it, you know, and they, and they, they pay their people really well, but, but they have extra money. And so, um, one of the things that they do with that money is they invest it in companies that are outside of Google. So unaffiliated, unrelated companies and Google ventures manages those investments. And my role there was to kind of be a consultant to those portfolio companies. So after we made an investment, I would go in and I would work with those companies. I would try to help them out and help them reach their goals. And when I started that job, I was, I was arrogant enough to think that I could just be the expert for all these different companies. You know, I could go in and say, here's what you should do. Um, but I learned that that was not, that was not going to work. I, um, I, I couldn't possibly be the expert for every single problem that they ran into. I couldn't give them the answers. Um, I was going to have to figure out how to help them find their own answers. You know, mm. if they want to launch a new product and they're not sure what features it should have, or if they want to reach a new kind of customer and they don't know what kind of marketing to do. Um, that's not something that I could have the answer for. And so um, I met a guy named Jake Knapp who was working at Google as a designer and he had developed this thing called a design sprint, which was a way to uh, shortcut the the full process of designing and, and building a piece of software that can take months or even years. And in just a couple of days, produce a prototype, produce sort of a, a fake version of that finished product that you could put in front of customers and it looked real enough that the customers could could basically tell you what they thought about it. Um, it wasn't, you know, wasn't perfectly predictive of, you know, customers know the difference between something that's real and something that's not real, but it can get you quick and dirty data, can point you in the right direction. And so this seemed like a really great way for us to work with all of these startups and help them find their own answers. So we brought Jake to our team, to Google Ventures, mm -hmm. and we started running these sprints together. And over the course of about five years, we ran uh, just north of 150 sprints. And with each one, we tweaked the process, we reflected on what worked well, what didn't work well, um, and we we refined it into a recipe that any team could pick up and could use. And that is what um, what the first book Sprint is about. Um, but it's very interesting, I think, in the context of what we're talking about now, because while it was it was a way for teams to go fast and and you know uh, reduce risk and avoid wasting time, it was also a way for teams to experiment with wiping away the defaults of how they normally work. So instead of a team coming in, going to lots of meetings, sending a million emails, you know, trying to kind of do everything at once, push everything forward in a sprint, we would literally clear the calendar for a week. The team would, would work together face to face. Uh, devices were not allowed in the room. Um, so it was, it was in a lot of ways, it was the complete opposite from how teams were used to working. Mm. So it was kind of an opportunity for Jake and me. And we had already, we had sort of discovered at this point that we were kindred spirits in terms of, of wanting to make good use of our time and, and rejecting a lot of the typical productivity advice that, that we had heard. Um, but it became for us an opportunity to experiment with redesigning time, with redesigning the work week for 
those teams and and the things that we learned became a part of this this new framework make time gotcha all right so there there's an intertwinedness if that's a word <laughs> it. <laughs> it is now yeah what i was curious about was whether it was like this was your productivity focus thing and you know which you've sort of woken up from and feel like that that worked but only for so long and isn't really the path so i was just curious if like you know book number one actually sort of um contradicted in a sense by book number two but they're they're interrelated i get it they are yeah um so can we can we get into book number two and i'll, I'll try course, not to keep yeah. taking us off course i will say though um <laughs> As a feed burner user or past user, that's my first podcast years ago. That's how I syndicated it. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. It makes me sad to see how un uninvested, I don't even want to say underinvested, but uninvested yeah. uh, invested in it, it became over time. Like it's super dated and I feel like could have continued because it, it was kind of how you built RSS feeds and syndicated things back in the day. That's um, right. Yeah. So yeah, a little. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be sad, more sad for you, but um, it makes me sad to see what didn't happen with that, which is kind of a bummer. But I get it. Google's got lots of things to focus on. And yeah, it's kind of um, it. It was a little sad. You know, I went from like just being really laser focused on on that product, FeedBurner, and and really the customers. One of the things that was cool about the team was that we we all did customer support. So we were all answering emails and helping people. Oh, wow. So we really felt like we knew our customers. I mean, you and I may have traded emails uh, 12 years ago um, about some feed burner question or something. But um, but so I went from like being just really focused on that world and then getting into Google and and it wasn't a focus. I was yeah. working on other interesting stuff. Um, and it, it's now it's kind of like I'm not sad about it anymore, but it's kind of surreal because mm. Um, it's not like Google shut it down, right? It's like, it's frozen in time. You can still go to feedburner.google.com and you can sign in with your Google account. And even if you've never used FeedBurner, you're going to see the UI that I designed in 2006. It is like a total time machine. Yeah. Um, and then meanwhile, behind the scenes, the backend is still serving up bajillions of, yeah. uh, you know, that's a precise number, bajillions of, um, of feeds at literally every second, uh, it's still in a That's lot crazy. of ways, RSS is still kind of the behind the scenes plumbing for a lot of publishing yeah. on the web. Yeah. Anyway, now that's a tangent on a tangent. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a whole rabbit hole to go down, but like, yeah, people should go look at it just to see the UI and you'll laugh. But remember when that was out, that actually was like gorgeous design, really <laughs> functional. I mean, I, you know, I think back to like early, I, I used to do web development in college and okay, like cool. my, my first sites, I was so giddy. I was like, I made the text red, everybody come and look at this. Yeah. You know, and there's like grayed out images all over the background, just totally distracting and gross. But at the time people were like, wow, that's <laughs> incredible. You have an image on your page. That's wild. Um, anyway. Yeah. All right. Totally, totally off topic. So <laughs> let's get back on. Let, let's talk about make time what you know what is what is the message in it what's because one of the things that is important to me in the idea of do a day is this present moment like how do you achieve what you need to achieve right now and as we were talking the other day you start to share the ideas behind the the i the ideas behind the ideas behind the book um and it just struck me as like yeah this is this is a very tangible clear um digestible way to start to put this stuff in action and feel it on a daily basis, which I loved. Yeah. The, 
what you just said about feeling it on a daily basis is really core to the philosophy behind the book. So just to, to kind of step back for a second, um, make time is, is a book, uh, and it's kind of a, a framework for people who are busy and distracted and feel like they never quite have time for the things that are important to them, uh, to help those people take control of their attention and their energy so that they can make time for the things that they want to be doing, whether those are things at home or things in the office. Um, and, and there are a lot of different pieces of advice in the book. There's, there's 87 concrete tactics. Um, but there, it's not like you need to do all the, all the stuff. It's, it's not like this, um, kind of, overwhelming system with a million things you have to do every day to keep it, keep it all running. It really boils down to four daily steps. And we sort of see this as a, it's a loop. It's a cycle that you go through every day. And it starts with choosing a highlight, which is the one thing that you want to make sure you make time for. Um, you, you're kind of reverse engineering a great day. So you're sort of, if you imagine looking back and asking, what was the highlight of my day? Um, you're thinking about what you want that answer to be at the beginning of the day, which puts you in charge. It puts you in charge of the day. Yeah. It's not the only thing you're going to do. Of course, it's not like you can magically, you know, uh, clear your calendar and spend the whole day, you know, writing in a cabin in the woods. I mean, maybe you could do that, but, but that's not what that's, I think that's a, that's not a very realistic, um, yeah. thing to aim for. So what we encourage people to do is choose one thing, choose a highlight for each day and build the day around that. The, the next step is, um, is called laser. And it's all about making these adjustments that I talked about earlier to your, to your technology primarily, but also your, your physical environment to cut back on the amount of time that you spend in those mindless ways on those apps and, you know, sources of entertainment and information that, um, that really deep down, like you don't want to be doing, you know, there, you don't necessarily d wake up in the morning and say, you know, today I want to spend four hours looking at my phone, which according to some studies is the average amount of time we spend looking at our smartphones per day. Nobody wakes up in the morning and no. thinks that, um, yet that's, that's what we do. And, and it's because it's all so easy. It's so frictionless. It's so tempting. And so the second step laser is about adding that friction back in, creating barriers to distraction so that you can reclaim that time for the things you want to do. The third step is called energize. And it's based on the idea that you can't make good use of your time if you're, if you're tired, if you don't have energy, if you're, if you're worn out, if you're unhealthy. And so it's all about concrete ways that you can build energy for your brain and your body by taking care of yourself, uh, a lot of really basic stuff. Um, but again, with that, with that, that attitude or philosophy of small concrete things that you can do one day at a time, not these big, crazy diets, but like one, you know, simple ways that you can change what you're going to eat or drink today. Yeah. And then the fourth step is called reflect and reflect is all about looking back on the day and just spending really, truly just a couple of minutes. This isn't some big journaling exercise. Um, but just looking back on the day and saying, Hey, what did I want to make time for today? What was my highlight? 
did I do it? Um, and what went well about the day or what didn't go so well about the day? And what am I going to do differently tomorrow? And that, um, that practice of doing that, um, and we tried to make it as, as simple and as lightweight as possible so that it's actually doable. That process, um, even if you use none of the tactics from the book, that process of just having that little daily reflection can be really powerful. Mm. I love this. That To me, it's like the highlight sets the focal point for your mindful or purposeful approach to the day. Laser yeah. is removing, like it's creating that path of least resistance for you, or it's, it's like, it's clearing the path, sweeping the mm -hmm. leaves off of it and, and taking some of those distractions away so you can stay focused on that highlight. Energize is, is just recognizing you can't just like going back to your productivity time, you can't just burn to achieve something. You do have right. to like, we are complete beings. We've got emotions and we've got energy and we, we need to eat. And, you know, like yeah. even you're going off to the the um, cabin in the woods to write, like you still got to go to the bathroom, you got to eat, you got to drink, like you're not literally just <laughs> typing, yeah. you know, 24 seven <laughs> and just recognizing right. like our bodies need other things to keep them going yep. um, and reflect. I think I, I love that you're saying it's not like a huge, you know, you need to journal 12 pages or something. So you're, you're keeping it um, maybe undaunting and um and light but at the same time recognizing just how important it is to actually spend a little bit of mental effort just to recap and think about what went well what didn't what does that mean for me what can i do differently tomorrow when i set my highlight and you know go through the steps of of clearing out the distractions bringing energy back into my day um it's just like that just sets you up for the next one to be you know that much better I love that really clear way to pull it all together. Yeah. And, and, and then when you have a day where things don't go so well, you know, they don't go according to plan. It's not the end of the world because tomorrow's a new day. You know, you can think about what, you know, how things didn't go the way you thought they were going to go and you can try it again. Yeah. Um, we really, the whole thing is set up really to, um, to be forgiving, um, to be flexible and to, show people the immediate benefit of these changes that they're making. Because I think a lot of the, a lot of the changes in behavior that we want to make for ourselves have very long-term payoffs. Mm -hmm. You know, if we want to eat healthier, um, you know, we, maybe we have a, a short-term goal of losing weight, but, but it's really for this long-term benefit of being healthy and living longer. Um, or we, you know, we, um, we save money, for example, and it's so that when we're retired, we're going to, you know, be able to live comfortably and scale back the amount of, amount of hours that we're, that we're working. Um, but I think advice like that, that focuses on the long-term benefit is really hard to stick to day to day because we're not seeing any of the rewards of it. And so we wanted to create something that would, would still have those long-term benefits, but would also really prime people to recognize the short-term benefits, the short-term gains. So for example, um, you know, like a lot of the tactics in the, the energize section are about exercise. It's about small ways of, of bringing movement into your day. And, you know, something as simple as replacing a part of your commute with, uh, with, with walking instead of driving or riding or, um, 
instead of, you know, having Amazon deliver something to your door, actually making a trip out to the store to go get it. Um, things like that. That's just crazy. They, That's <laughs> I know. Crazy talk. They, they, they have the immediate benefit of honestly just making you feel better. You know, you, you, you go and stretch your legs, you get a little walk and you feel more energized. You actually right away, you feel, um, the benefit of, of that change. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's kind of how we want people to view their days. I, I tell people regularly, um, and no one like this acronym is not caught on, but I'm going to keep saying it anyway, um, to do KUYAP, which stands for commute under your own power. Oh yeah. I don't know why yeah. it hasn't caught on. It's such a beautiful <laughs> sounding word. Um, yeah. but yeah, that, that was, uh, when I worked in downtown Boston, that's how I commuted probably 70% of the year. You know, just like weather depending, either running or cycling or a mix of the two. Like I'd ride my bike to the train station, lock it up there and then run the rest of the way and maybe take the train home and then ride from the train station back. Yeah. And it was just, it was unreal for a variety of reasons. One is like you get, you know, you get exercise without necessarily just adding to what's on your plate. Because otherwise, it's like, okay, I have to take out an hour from all this busyness I have to go to the gym and you know, totally. shower. Not like, yeah, you got to commute anyway, and you're going to get stuck in traffic. So, you know, it, it ends up being actually like cycling was the fastest way for me to get to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, including the shower and all that, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, in some ways, it, you know, maybe even if it does take longer, in some ways, it, it, it still feels like it makes time because if you're driving, you're behind the wheel, like you can't do anything else no. with that time. You're sort of in this, this mid attention range where you have to pay attention, but you don't have enough leftover bandwidth to do yeah. anything else. But like when you're walking, you can use that time. You know, you, you know, you can, you can meditate, you can sort of think about, um, you know, projects that you've got going on. You can, you can talk on the phone. Yeah. You can, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that you can do that's not going to be unsafe and it's not going to, um, it's, it, you know, you've got enough attention. So even, you know, you're right that in a lot of cases it can actually be faster, um, than, than the, the default, but even if it's not, it can sometimes feel like it, like it frees up time for you. Yeah. And there's, I mean, look, everybody's been stuck in traffic. There's something to be said for, even if it's slower to ride your bike or to walk when you get to that final destination. And that includes coming home. Like that was one of the best parts of doing it was, when I got home, my mind was cleared again. Like yeah. the cobwebs that had built right. up in the day and the stress and the <laughs> frustration. When I came through the door, A, I had an excuse to go take a shower. So that also let me just kind of like, you know, just reset. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I had worked everything out that I needed to work out. And if I was to get stuck in traffic to get home or to get to work, I guarantee you I would not, you know, from an energized standpoint, totally the opposite. You get into work after being stuck in traffic for like an hour and a half, you're not going to be as productive. You're not going to be as positive. There are things you won't achieve that even if it was faster than walking there, you're going to pay for it in other yeah. ways. So I'm, yeah, I'm, yep. I'm totally with you on that. And now everyone who's listening will start saying kuyap and it's going to be just a normal, <laughs> normal sounding word that isn't strange. Yeah. I look, I, I look forward to hearing it, uh, you know, on, on the street, uh, at, at cafes, you know, that sort of thing. Well, Everybody you know, will luckily, be talking about yeah, it. you can revise the book and throw it in there and, uh, <laughs> that'll, that'll, so everyone's heard it here first. You're guaranteeing that you will do that. No pressure. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe not. The, um, the, the, the things that for me are important about this, you know, this, you know, building energy by, by moving are that, uh, you, you, 
don't have to do a ton. You know, we have this kind of this expectation that if you're going to exercise, it must involve an hour long trip to the gym or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or you, you must sign up for the, the, the class, you know, at the, at the studio that costs, you know, however much money. Um, but, but really, and this is backed up by research, you, you get like 80%, I don't know if it's actually 80%, but you get most of the benefit of exercise in the first 20 minutes. Um, Gretchen Reynolds, who's a, a writer for the New York Times, um, she actually wrote a book that I think is called The First 20 Minutes. And it's about how most of the gains from exercise are in the first 20 minutes. Mm. Um, so I think that's really important. And then uh, and then I'll quote another Gretchen, uh, Gretchen Rubin, who's, yeah. who's an author who... Yeah, who's who truly is amazing and has this great quote that's um, what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. And so if you can instead of, you know, thinking, oh, I've got it, got to go to the gym for an hour, you know, together with shower time, that becomes 90 minutes. Um, And so, yeah, I'm going to do that three days a week. Uh, Instead, do something for 15 minutes every day, you know, start small um, and, and start today because that's going to get you to where you want to be ultimately more quickly than than sort of following the default ideas that we're all inundated with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was having a conversation with someone the other day who I'm coaching on the you know um like their wellness and weight management and they were saying, you know, I know if I don't do 60 minutes that is worthless and I'm like, do you think if you're, you know, let's say like on the elliptical or like for 59 minutes and you get off your body's like, nope, <laughs> <And> like <laughs> muscles, whatever you just can't like, let all that go, you know, heart, like you're not that much stronger. Those calories, like we're just going to take them back in. Like it, it doesn't, it's not binary. Yeah. Something is better than nothing. And like you're saying, like, just start today because the more yeah. you put it off, the more you're going to put it off. And I, I know we're getting a little bit tight on time, but one of the things you said to me the other day that just like totally um, resonated with me that I wanted to make sure we hit on is you said, um, you focus on what you can do today. And then you went back on the word today and you said today, not someday. I love that. Cause that like that you can all, it's always someday later. Right. And that's, that's not your life. Like it's, it's right now that we have to focus on. So I just, I wanted you to hit on that notion a bit more. Yeah. I mean, we all have ideas of things that we will do someday and they, they're often these these big things, these dreams that we have, projects that we want to get to. Um, but sometimes they're not these big things. Sometimes they're small things. Sometimes they're like, you know, someday uh, when I have more time, I will, um, I'm going to start, you know, repainting that back bedroom or I'm going to start going to the gym or I'm going to start uh, cooking at home because it's it's healthier and it, it costs less money. Um, but But like you said, we live in today. And so one of the things that, that I always try to do is, is break down that big thing into a small thing that I can do today, that I can carve out time for, um, right now that might not get me all the way, uh, to that, that big goal that I have, that big someday plan or idea, but it's going to, it's going to start me down the road. And more likely than not, eventually you are going to get there or you're going to get somewhere else interesting. Um, but if you never start, you've got, you've got no chance to get there. And that's really the, the philosophy behind the highlight. The highlight is, um, 
you know, again, it's something that you, you do every day, you choose one thing you want to make time for, but it's not this huge thing. It's not the only thing you're going to do, you know, to get really pragmatic about it. You know, we, um, we suggest that when people are kind of starting out with this idea, they, they look for something that's going to maybe take 60 to 90 minutes mm. because it's big enough that it can be meaningful. It can be something that really um, puts a dent in your day, you know, in, in a good way. It makes you kind of feel like you you did something worthwhile. But it's small enough that most people, by reclaiming some time from their smartphones, from reclaiming some time from maybe uh, meetings that can be shortened or moved around or canceled. I have found that most people can make 60 to 90 minutes a day, especially when it's for a thing that they really want to be doing. And so, so that's what we encourage people to do um, with the highlight. That's how we encourage people to translate someday into today. I love that. Yeah. I, not to get gross, but don't bring your cell phone or your smartphone into the bathroom you'll get back pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, the, the timing of this coming out, I promise you it would be early January and that's on purpose. Um, New Year's resolutions. If people haven't figured it out, this is unbelievably helpful for not falling into the trap of, I think it's 87% have failed by the six month mark. Um, oh, and it's, wow. all, you know, most of them in the first month or six weeks or something, but by the by halfway through the year almost everybody is out um so i'd I'd love if you just have a couple of thoughts for people who are swearing they're going to make a change and they you know that maybe they know what kinds of things might fit into their highlights on a daily basis because that's what they want to be better about and that's what they're resolving to change what's what's one of the ways or, or how might they take make time and and bringing it bring it into making those resolutions actually sustainable one of the ways to use these ideas for New Year's resolutions is what I just talked about, which is breaking down those big someday goals into small, uh, concrete, tangible things that you really can do every day um, instead of waiting until some perfect world in the future, you know, where everything is is just the way you want it to be and you're you're kind of perfectly positioned to make that change. But I think there's another another framing on it, which is that we don't always know exactly how we want to change. We, we might know that there's something that um, could be better about our life. Um, but until we start to create that little bit of time every day, we don't necessarily have a great view on what it is. Um, it's sort of like, you know, imagine yourself treading water in, uh, you know, in in, in choppy waters, you know, there's sort of little waves on the surface and you're treading water. So you're fine. You know, you're not going to drown. You're okay, but you can't really see what's around you. You can't really see what's out there. And it's not until you can get your head above water that you can really see what the possibilities are. And I think that that is where a lot of us find ourselves. We're busy, we're distracted, we're tired and we know we want something to change. So maybe when you know New Year's rolls around, we we grab onto a very specific thing that we want to do. Um, like you know we want to we want to cook dinner at home five days a week or or whatever it is. Um, but oftentimes we, you know, oftentimes we're just sort of grabbing onto that thing because it because it's something. You know, we don't necessarily know 
what we want to change about our life. And so, so my advice is that, um, if you feel like you want your life to change, it's okay if you don't know exactly what you want those changes to look like. It's okay if you don't know exactly what new habits, what new behaviors you want to create. If you can start by opening up a little bit of space, if you can start by creating a little bit of time in your days, you can, sure, you can use that time for whatever that, that new behavior it is, that new, that new habit, that, that resolution, but you'd be amazed at how that space can get your head above water. It can allow you to see some of the bigger changes that you might make. Um, and I actually, I have kind of a personal story on this. Um, for the last uh, eight years, my wife and I lived in San Francisco and we had great jobs and, and things, were, things were really good. But, but we had, um, we'd been working nonstop for 15 years and, you know, we, it was very, very much a, a kind of typical you know, young urban professional uh, lifestyle. You know, we we made good money, but we spent a lot of money. Uh, things were were busy. Um, if we wanted to hang out with our friends, we had to schedule it out. You know, three Thursdays from now, that sort of thing. And so we didn't we didn't have a grand vision for for what we wanted to change, but we knew we wanted something to change. So, like I was saying, we started to create a little bit of space. We used the ideas that that became this book, Make Time, and we we created space a little bit at a time. And one of the things that we started to do with that time was to um, get into uh, sailing and specifically traveling by sailboat. So um, very much like you do if you had an RV, you know, the idea, it's called cruising in the sailing world. The idea with cruising is that you you get on your boat and you, you know, you're living on the boat for could be just, you know, a weekend, but it could be longer and you, you travel somewhere, you sail somewhere. And when you arrive, you get to explore, but you also, you kind of brought your home with you. And so we started to do that a little bit, um, you know, going for a long weekend, going for a week and then a couple of weeks. And this is unfolding over years and years and years living in San Francisco. And eventually this all kind of compounded and built up and, you know, it's like a snowball rolling downhill. Eventually, um, we decided that we would actually step away from that life that we knew in San Francisco and away from all those defaults that were a part of that life. And we moved on to our sailboat and we spent eight months traveling. We sailed from San Francisco down to Panama. Um, our boat is in Panama and we, um, we have since moved to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, uh, this winter we'll be back on the boat for about five or six months. Wow. Um, but, but we didn't, you know, it didn't start out as this per perfectly crystallized vision 10 years ago that we worked up to. It was something that we were able to do little by little. And it really all started with just uh, creating that space, creating a little bit of time every day. Oh, that's a really good, uh, firsthand experience. And I think one that everyone is, is probably like, how can I do that specifically? Like, how do I get to Panama in the winter <laughs> and, uh, and avoid Wisconsin snow? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, John, is there anything that we're not hitting on before we wrap things up that being that I haven't read the book yet, shame on me, um, <laughs> that, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm missing some key thing that we got to get into. I don't think so. I mean, I think so, you know, we, we talked about the idea that this book has a bunch of really concrete tactics. Yeah. There's, there's 87 tactics, but 
But that's not really what it's about. It's about these four steps, um, highlight, laser, energize, and reflect. Um, and I think that if people, if they adopt those steps and kind of that way of planning their days, but they don't use any of the tactics from the book, I think that that's still, that's still success. That's yeah. still really a great thing. Um, and, and honestly, this is just, this is, this has become my mission to help people, um, make time for what matters to them to make good use of their time, to feel like they really have, um, they have quality time. They're not just being dragged through the day, um, by the, the external demands and defaults that exist. Yeah. So I hope that whether people read the book, don't read the book, or maybe just, you know, read even the first 15 pages of it or, or whatever, I hope that this will, will help people, um, in their journey to make time. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm guessing people understand why you were such a good fit, even though, you know, you didn't go through some horrific trauma, but you definitely, you went through something with that, that productivity, productivity push that we, a lot of us go through and end up realizing, hopefully realizing that it, it doesn't work long-term. Um, yeah, I love, I love these, these four steps. And, uh, I think the tactics actually, there's, there's probably some really good tangible pieces that might maybe blow our minds in a little way. Like, Oh, I didn't even think of doing that. <laughs> that would totally help me make that space that you're talking about. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. where can people find out more about you, about the book, you know, pick up a copy, all that kind of good stuff. Right. Yeah. Best way to learn more about the book is to go to maketimebook.com. And we've actually got like, uh, pictures from the inside of the book. We've got a bunch of tools and resources and things that you can, you can check out. Um, the book is available at Amazon and everywhere books are sold. And then perhaps ironically, the best way to, to keep up on what I'm doing is on Twitter. Um, and I, I know that that's often a, a source of, of distraction and that's one of the places where we, we lose time. But, uh, but I think Twitter, much like all these other technologies we've talked about can be a really amazing, really great sure. tool. When, when we're in charge of it and, uh, and, and I'm on Twitter at, uh, Jazzer, J-A-Z-E-R. Okay. Well, I will put all of those links in the show notes so people can check all that out and cool. they can follow you on Twitter without notifications. That's, that's yeah. one way to make it better. <laughs> um, that's yes. awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank you, Brian. This was great. All right. Today is a new day. Go out and do it. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. Yeah, thank you. Oh, isn't John great? He's awesome. And his message, it's really simple. It's really clear. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't take work. It doesn't mean that it's not good enough because it isn't complicated. It actually takes a lot of work. But I love the simplicity of it because that means you can hear it and understand it and do something with it. So that's the challenge to all of you. Obviously, the first step would be getting the book to really dig in deeper because this interview is great, but it's not enough. So you should definitely go to maketimebook.com, like John said. But what are you going to do with that knowledge? You got to do a day, right? You got to take that knowledge and be willing to restructure and move forward. I've already thought about a few things that I'm going to start doing differently. Well, by the time this comes out, I've already been doing them differently. And especially with January here, how many of you have set New Year's resolutions? How many of you will continue to be on the path to having those resolutions, real active parts of reshaping your life. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, there's probably a much higher percentage of you who are succeeding with those resolutions or will succeed with them. 
than the average population. But the reality is most people don't. And I've tried to help people with that, working on motivation and all that. What John's trying to do is give you some really specific tools to keep that train moving ahead. So think about it, grab the book, pull it into your life, and start to make that time. All right? And if that's really inspiring you and you want to dig a little bit deeper on yourself, of course you should check out everything that I put out there with Do A Day. You can get it at doadaybook.com or my blog at brianfaltzrock.com slash blog. And if it's really resonating and you have a group of people, I would love to come and speak to all of you. That's a big part of my life is public speaking and sharing the kinds of messages that you get in this show and you get in my writing. And that's probably the thing that gets me most jazzed up is getting on stage or getting in front of a group and sharing something insightful that inspires and gets people to think differently and watching their eyes and their face light up as that spark is lit. So if that is interesting to you and you think that I could be a good fit for whatever you have going on, whatever problem you and your team are trying to solve or whatever opportunity you guys are facing that you want to see if you can make a go of it, give me a shout. You can go to brianfalchuk.com speak for more information about that. And of course, if you just want to work one-on-one, we can also talk about coaching options, brianfalchuk.com coach. I'm not doing this to do an ad for myself. I'm doing this to try to get the word out for how to help people. And I hope that that resonates with you. So hopefully I'll hear from you. Hopefully you'll pick up John's book and you will make time as you go into 2019 and you will continue on the path for whatever you've resolved to do. And with that, remember everyone, today is a new day. Go out and do it. Thanks so much.